I'd like to read this evening uh, from the prophecy of Habakkuk. <coughs> um, if you're singing the chorus in your mind, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. Uh, it's uh, a minor prophet, uh, but we shouldn't really call them minor prophets. Minor only in size, but uh, not in importance. Habakkuk chapter 3. <coughs> um, what I'd like to do tonight is just speak a little bit about the Lewis revival in the 1950s and just tell the story of that revival, but against the background of this uh, verse in Habakkuk chapter 3, uh, verses 1 and 2. <clears throat> We've been challenged about prayer. Here is a prayer, verse 1 of Habakkuk, the prophet upon Shigionoth. Not quite sure what Shigionoth is here for, really. It means wandering. Uh, but it is used as a title in one of the psalms at least and so this may be regarded not just as a prayer but as a psalm or maybe set to music a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet upon Shigionoth and this is his prayer verse 2 O Lord I have heard thy speech or thy report and was afraid O Lord revive thy work in the midst of the years in the midst of the years make known in wrath remember mercy Amen <clears throat> This afternoon we thought about Psalm 44 the psalmist looks back to days of blessing and with that in his mind he prays command deliverances for Jacob This is a different picture Habakkuk says in verse to I've heard thy report and was afraid. What's he referring to? I think he's referring to chapters 1 and 2. And in chapters 1 and 2 we learn that God is going to judge his people. And he's going to use the Babylonians to judge them. The Assyrians. And he's going to... Judah is going to be taken away into captivity. And, and Habakkuk's prophecy comes between... Israel having gone into captivity and Judah about to go into captivity. And as he has been receiving this report, a report of judgment, a report of discipline upon the people, Habakkuk says, I've heard thy speech. It's different from Psalm 44, not hearing uh, about blessing, but hearing about judgment. And he says, I've heard thy speech and I was afraid. If you read further down the chapter, you'll find he talks about rottenness entering into his bones. It made him physically ill to think of what God was going to do to the nation. But it's against that background that he prays this prayer. Brothers and sisters, I think that no one can look at our nation today and say that we do not deserve divine judgment. There is no doubt that our nation stands condemned by the word of God. And, and whether we look at our society, our culture, our leaders, our laws, our regulations, there is no doubt that we are a nation that deserve the judgment of God. And against that background, we were talking, uh, brother was talking, Stephen was talking about being driven to our knees. By a sense of need. And Habakkuk, as he gets this message, they weren't robots, these men. They didn't just get a message and say, well, we'll pass this on. 
It, it affected him physically. He was terrified at what God was going to do. And it drove him to his knees. And he prays like this. Just three things about this prayer. First of all, revive thy work. Revive thy work. It's been pointed out that Habakkuk doesn't say revive my work. The prophet Habakkuk's work. Somebody said that a great test is when God blesses somebody else and not you. When, when God's work is greater than us, brethren and sisters. God's work is greater than me. God can quite easily bypass me and use somebody else. And the test is, how do I react to that? Habakkuk says, it's thy work. And that's where we've got to start when we think of the work of God. It's not our work. It's not our meeting. It's not our meetings. It's his work. And Habakkuk says, revive thy work in the midst of the years. What is he, what is he thinking about in the midst of the years? Well, he's thinking about this, that uh, if you read the chapter, he looks back to what God did in the past. God's power. And he knows that in the future, there will be blessing for the nation of Israel. But he says, Lord, we need the blessing now. Revive thy work in the midst of the years. Not back then, not even in the future, but now. And so we can see Habakkuk is driven to his knees and his first request is revive thy work. And then the second request is reveal thy power. In the midst of the years, make known. Make known. He's really pleading with God to, to make known his power, to make known his might. And then the third Request is remember thy mercy and wrath. Remember mercy. You see, he, he, he's, he's, he's been talking, he's been thinking about the wrath, the judgment that's going to fall on the nation. And he says, Lord, I'm pleading that in wrath, he doesn't say don't forget, because of course God can't forget, but he says in wrath, remember mercy. Brethren and sisters, what our nation needs today is that God in wrath would remember mercy. We are reaping in our society a harvest that we've sown. And there is, I, 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 maybe some differ here, but I don't believe that God is intervening in judgment on nations on the earth at this present time. But I believe there are inalterable laws that righteousness exalts a nation and sin is a reproach to any people. And our nation is in turmoil and will be in greater turmoil, I would think, because we're reaping what we've sown. But it drives Habakkuk to his knees and he says, Lord, revive thy work, reveal thy power, and remember thy mercy. Wonderful prayer. When you get to the end of this chapter, we're not going to read it, but you get to the end, you've got this classic passage Though the fig tree shall not blossom. Brothers and sisters, let us remember this. That even after all our praying, and after all our longing, and after all our working, if the Lord does not work, if there is no let up, if there is no blessing, as far as Habakkuk's concerned, Habakkuk says, even if there's nothing, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Brothers, been dealing very ably with 
prayer and sometimes we pray and we don't know what to pray for and how to pray brothers and sisters the end whatever God decides to do with our nation the end will be the glory of God whether it's in grace or whether it's in judgment and Habakkuk says I'll rejoice in the Lord I'll joy in the God of my salvation I want to speak to you this evening just for a few minutes about the what is called the Lewis Revival of 1950 onwards. Um, we were singing that lovely hymn, Channels Only. Just a channel. Well, I want to say a little bit about the channel that God used in this particular revival. It was a man called Duncan Campbell. And Duncan Campbell, many of you will know the story, I'm sure, but maybe some don't. Duncan Campbell was born in a wee hamlet called Ardchatton, just north of Oban. And when he was, his parents were Christians, but when he was 15 years old, um, he was quite a proficient piper. And he was asked to play the pipes at a wedding near Oban. And as they were having the dance, they were shouting out airs that they would like to be played on the pipes. And uh, I'm sure we all know here about the green hills of Tyrol. And somebody shouted out they'd like to have that tune played, The Green Hills of Tyrol. And as young Duncan Campbell began to play this on the pipes, he began to remember a hymn that they'd been singing at school, There is a Green Hill Far Away. And uh, as he was playing the pipes at this dance, just a young boy, there came flashing into his mind the picture, as he imagined it, of the Lord Jesus on the cross in the green hill outside Jerusalem. And, and such was the power of this mental image and conviction that came upon him that after he'd finished the air, he laid down the pipes and he left the dance and he walked home. As he was getting near to Ardchatton, he passed the memorial hall. This was about 11 o'clock at night and the light was on. He'd never seen this before. He wondered what was happening. So he opened the door and slipped in. And what was happening, very uh, appropriately, there was an all-night prayer meeting going on. And the Christians were having, I know that the saints and Peter Heather are about to have a gospel effort. And uh, the Christians in that area were having a gospel campaign. And they were getting together for prayer all night. And as he slipped into the back, he heard his father on his feet, praying for his son's salvation. And he listened as one by one the men would get up and pray with tears that souls would be saved and he slipped out nobody knew he was there he slipped out and carried on in his journey home and he was under such conviction this young boy as he travelled home that often he said he would stop and kneel down and cry to God just a young boy under conviction of sin feeling his need of the saviour and when he arrived at home it was now 2 o'clock in the morning the light was burning and when he opened the door his mother was on her knees on the kitchen floor praying for her son and when he went in he told his mum what was on his mind and what he'd been thinking about and what he wanted and she said go into the barn and tell God what you've told me and Duncan Campbell in his own words just a boy of uh, 15 he went into the barn and he got down on his knees and he said Lord I don't know how to come to you but just take me as I am 
I'm a sinner and you died for me. Take me as I am. And at that moment he realized that Christ had died for his sins and he was converted, a boy of 15. Well, a lot happened. We fast forward to 1941. 1941. That was in 1913. 1941. Duncan Campbell's now a minister. He's in one of the denominations. He's, he's filled many pulpits. He's been a great preacher. People have been converted. And he was invited to preach in a conference. Not dissimilar maybe to this. And he's sitting here on the platform. And there was a man called Dr. Thomas Fitch who was preaching. And as Duncan Campbell's sitting here on the, pulpit, uh, on the platform, he thinks, what a hypocrite I am. Here is this man preaching about dependence on God and faith in God and nearness to God, just as we've heard the challenging words of our dear brother. We feel humbled by that ministry. And uh, Duncan Campbell got out and went home and went into his study and lay on the floor all night and rededicated himself to God. <laughs> now you'll think this is a bit of a theme that's running through these stories because uh, Jock Troop had a similar experience. I just want to raise this, dear brethren and sisters, uh, all that we knew more of that, all that we knew more of meetings that we, that we rise up and we might enjoy some lasagna downstairs, but we go home and we, we sort out things with God. And Duncan Campbell resigned his position and went back to what he believed God was calling him to, which was the faith mission, and became an itinerant preacher. Well, meanwhile, over on the island of Lewis, there had been blessing before. There had been souls being saved. And there were many Christians praying Habakkuk's prayer, Revive thy work, O Lord. In the midst of the years. And there was a couple of ladies, two sisters, one of them was blind, Peggy and Margaret Smith, and they were praying and praying for revival to come to Lewis. And they'd heard about this man, Duncan Campbell, and they started to pray that Duncan Campbell would come to Lewis. Well, many other Christians were praying. Sometimes the story is told as though they were the only Christians praying. There were many Christians on the islands praying that there would be a revival. And it was decided that they would send for Dr. Thomas Fitch to come and preach. And they sent the message to uh, Dr. Fitch to come up to Lewis to preach the gospel. And he said, I can't come. He said, but I recommend that you contact Duncan Campbell. And so they contacted him and he wouldn't come. He was busy. He was in Sky. And they contacted him again and he still wouldn't come. And they went to see the old ladies and they said, we've tried but he won't come. And they said, he will come. Try him again. They tried him again. And in December 1949, Duncan Campbell arrived in Lewis. If you've read the book or heard about it, you'll know that when he stepped off the boat at Stornoway, Stornoway Pier, the men who were sent to meet him said, they didn't say, did you have a nice trip? You know, that's, what they, that's, that's the first thing. I'm not criticising brethren. It was, it was kind of you to ask if the train journey had gone well. But uh, that's not what they asked him. They asked him, Mr. Campbell, are you walking with God? Are you walking with God? And Duncan Campbell says, well, I was able to say, well, I can say this at least, that I fear God. 
and they welcomed him onto the island and then the brother who was going to uh, give him hospitality said before we go home for a meal we're going to pass through the parish of Barvis and there's a few Christians going to be gathering there and they're hearing that you've come and they'd like to meet you would you be able to stop and uh, say a few words to them and Duncan Campbell said yes so they came to the parish of Barvis they went into this big church of Scotland in Barvis and it was packed Duncan Campbell went to the front and uh, they welcomed him and he got up on the pulpit they started to preach and he preached and he preached and he preached well and the people were impressed and eventually the service came to the end and uh, the people started to file out of the building and Duncan Campbell got down from the pulpit and thought now we'll get home and get some tea and a young man came to him and said Mr Campbell God is hovering over us he is about to break through and they closed the door when everyone had gone and they got down on their knees just a group of men in the empty building and they started to pray a few minutes later the door opened somebody came in and said Mr Campbell you better come to the door and see what has happened and when he got there there was a crowd of six to seven hundred people round about the church building some of them are on their knees some of them are weeping some of them are lying on the ground and a group of young people had been at a local dance and in their words they had been so overcome with the presence of God that they had fled the dance and they would come to this building and they are all standing outside and what are we going to do with them well somebody said let's sing a psalm that's what you do in Lewis <laughs> you sing a psalm and so they sang when Zion's bondage God turned back like men that dreamed were we then filled with laughter was our mouths our tongues with melody somebody said you better open the building let them back in they opened the doors and they flooded back into the, the building packed the place out he struggled to get back onto the pulpit when he got up to the pulpit there was a young woman lying on the platform and she'd just come back to the island she'd qualified as a teacher at Aberdeen University and she was lying on the pulpit crying out is there mercy for me is there mercy for me and he preached and people were converted in their seats people were uh, constrained to go on their knees or fall on their faces and that was the beginning of the Lewis revival four o'clock in the morning before they were able to get the people to go away they were just locking up somebody arrived and said you better come to the police station the police station yes came down to the police station there was a crowd of 200 people had gathered at the police station and these were people who never went to church and this is the early hours of the morning and the reason they'd gathered there was they had felt they needed to get right with God and the only thing they knew was that the police constable was a Christian and so they'd gone to the police station now, now you know I might think I'm a bit sceptical let's face it I am I don't know how I ever became a Christian because I don't believe anything but uh, I believe this because of the people that were converted in that crowd around the police station 11 young men became full time preachers of the gospel that was the beginning of the Lewis revival 
And the islands, uh, we were hearing about prayer and, and how challenging it is. Well, somebody said that this revival was bathed in prayer. People were out working on the cloth. They put down their tools, get on their knees, and they pray for their neighbours, they pray for their family members. There were prayer meetings every night of the week. And uh, any house, uh, I'm not sure if it's the same today, but any house in the area, you could just go and knock on the door and we'll have a prayer meeting here. Duncan Campbell's method was that he would preach very often. I'm not saying this is the right way to do it. I'm just telling you what he did. He would preach very often in the public gatherings. He would preach about man's need of a saviour, man's need of forgiveness and salvation. And then he would say, now those of you who are interested, come back to so-and-so's house. Well, that was the first that so-and-so had heard about it. But they had to rush out quick and get some chairs in. And those who were really seeking the Lord would go back. And he would speak to them in the house. And then he would say, now those that are really interested, come through to this room. And they would go through to this room. And invariably they say that what he would talk to them in the room was from John chapter 10. I give unto my sheep eternal life, and they shall never perish. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And, and he would emphasize the tenderness of Christ. And many people were converted in that way. Let me just tell you one or two incidents, and uh, we'll give Stephen uh, a lot of time. Um, in Carloway, there was a village, Carloway, an area called Carloway. And uh, there was a man, uh, there was a meeting being held there, and people were being converted in the meeting. And there was a minister sitting there in the audience, and he said to his wife, Look at these two men at the front. You'll, you'll think the story is all about pipers, but these were the pipers that were to play at the dance in Carloway that evening. And there they were, down kneeling at the front, trusting the Lord. And the minister said to his wife, what we'll do is we'll go to the dance and tell them what's happened. Well, <clears throat> I don't know what it's like now, but in these days for a minister to go to a dance in Lewis, that was something. And so he and his wife went along <clears throat> and they entered uh, into the, the hall where the dance was being held. And uh, there was a girl just singing a Gaelic song at the time. And he waited and then he stepped forward. And the MC, the Master of Ceremony, was a man called Alan MacArthur. And he'd been drinking a bit. And he was absolutely furious that a minister should come in here and spoil the dance. So he shouted to Morna Mackenzie, Have you got a ticket to come in here? And uh, the minister held up the Bible and says, This ticket takes me anywhere. <laughs> this ticket takes me anywhere. And he said, well, I heard this girl singing, a lovely voice. He said, I wonder if she might sing a psalm. What about singing Psalm 23? So they sang Psalm 23. And then the minister told them, he said, I've just come here because you're wondering where your pipers are. He says, they're down at the hall there. They've just been converted tonight. Told them the story of the conversion. And he says, I want to just read a psalm. He read Psalm 139. Whither shall I free from thy spirit? Whither shall I go from thy presence? And so on. The, the omnipresence of God. And uh, the people are listening to this. And then he says, now we're going to pray. And he prayed. And after he'd done that, Alan MacArthur, the master of ceremonies, 
went up to him and shook his hand and apologised and left the building. And later they found him, he was in the back of one of the buses that had come to the dance and he was in the back of the bus breaking his heart and he got converted that night and many of the young people who were at the dance, they got converted through that visit uh, in Carloway. If you're struggling to believe some of this, uh, the next story might be uh, well up there, but suspend your disbelief, brethren. Um, there was, a, there was a, a prayer meeting going on in Arnold, a hamlet in Lewis, and there hadn't been a breakthrough in blessing. And they were praying all night, and about midnight, Duncan Campbell said, I think John Smith, who was the local blacksmith, I think John Smith should lead us in prayer. And John Smith got to his feet and he said, Lord, I don't know about Duncan Campbell and these men. He said, but I'm thirsty. And you promised in your word that you would pour water on him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. And he says, Lord, you're not doing it. He says, I challenge you. And Duncan Campbell and them were shaking their, she- uh, feet at this, at their seats at this point. He said, I challenge you to fulfill your covenant engagement. And they reported that at that point the house actually shook. Now, you, you, you know, you can shake your head or not. But there was a manifestation of the power and presence of God. There was a young man sitting on the steps in that house, in the staircase, who felt the house shook and was convicted that God was at work. Two or three days later, he was converted and he went to preach the gospel in the Yemen. He became a missionary to the Yemen. I just want to finish with one other story. There was a girl called Mary Morrison and she had uh, been brought up in Lewis and she longed for the bright lights of Glasgow and eventually she moved to Glasgow and she wasn't doing anything really bad but she wanted to get away from the constraints and, and this religion that was gripping the islands. Well she got a message when she was down there that her parents were ill and she would need to come back and look after them so she made her mind to go back like a dutiful daughter and did and uh, when she arrived she discovered that they recovered quite a bit and she did wonder to the end of her days whether it was a ploy to get her back on the island but anyway she'd burned up. she was back in the island and she decided that there was no way that she was going to these revival meetings there was no way she would go but she says herself that she just couldn't there was something drawing her. Everyone was talking about it. There was a, and this is something, brothers and sisters, I think that, that, that I speak to myself, we might have lost. People said there was an air of expectancy. People expected God to move. They expected people to be saved. You know, we have some meetings where we think, oh, well, you know, it's a, the, the day that we're living in. We don't, maybe, maybe that's wrong, but sometimes we don't expect God to move. These people expected blessing. And they would talk about who's going to be saved next. Who will it be next? Who will be converted next? And uh, despite her reluctance, she started to attend these meetings and her friends. And, and, and she said that Duncan Campbell's preaching uh, was very direct. It was very forceful. It wasn't, he wasn't an orator. But he preached the word of God. And she began to be concerned about her soul. And one or two incidents happened that really frightened her. One was that she and a friend, uh, they would be thinking about being saved and thinking about spiritual things. 
And they started to read the Bibles. But they didn't want people to know they were reading the Bibles, so they would take the people's friend. I'm sure you're all subscribers. They would take the people's friend, and uh, they had the people's friend, and then they had the Bible inside the people's friend. If somebody came along, they were reading the people's friend. Uh, if they were in the house, uh, but uh, they were actually reading the Bible, they were searching and seeking. And they went to the meeting this night, and Duncan Campbell said, There are people here, and they've got the people's friend in one hand, and the Bible in the other. And they were absolutely terrified. There was another occasion, they went to a, a meeting that was being held at Kinloch, and uh, they were late getting in. The service had already started, and there were five of them. And Mary Morrison said to her friends, you wait and see, there are five of us, you'll be speaking tonight about the five foolish virgins. And they were just singing the psalm as they went in, Duncan Campbell came to the desk and he said, turn to Matthew 25, I want to talk to you about the five foolish virgins. These, these were times when they felt the presence of God, that the preacher was just saying things that were directed to them. God was moving like that. And one night she went back with her friends to one of these after meetings and although she went into the room and had a chat and Duncan Campbell spoke to her, she didn't get converted that night, but her friend did and she said that she would never forget in the darkness outside, those who had been recently converted, they joined hands and they sang take the world but give me Jesus a new hymn that they learned and she longed in her heart that she had had that experience, that she'd known that saviour. Well, it actually happened when Duncan Campbell had left the island to preach somewhere else. There was a prayer meeting in her locality. She went along and one of the men in the prayer meeting prayed and quoted Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And as she sat in the seat, she realized that it wasn't her experience, it wasn't her work, it wasn't what she could do or think or imagine. It was what he had done. He was wounded for my transgressions, bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon him. And she said, with his stripes, I am healed. She was converted. If you go to Lewis today... I know that there are detractors about the Lewis revival. I know there are people that say, well, things happened there that we can't explain. Well, <laughs> I'm happy enough with that. But if you go to Lewis today, you'll find that there are communities that have been transformed by what happened not so long ago. 1950s isn't long ago. That's uh, just 14 years before I was born. So it's not too long ago. God moved in a mighty way, brethren and sisters. And I just want to re-emphasize and underline what our dear brother's been speaking about prayer. It wasn't just all night prayer meetings. It wasn't just special prayer meetings. The fact of the matter was that the Christians on Lewis were men and women of prayer who were waiting on God and praying on God and depending on God and expecting God to work. And he did. I'm going to sit down now, but I trust that the prayer of Habakkuk will be our prayer. Revive thy work, reveal thy power, remember thy mercy.